Can anyone tell me what we spoke about last week? Yeah, I heard it from both. We spoke about milk and we spoke about the gospel. And what we determined was that something is missing. And what was that something? The kingdom. And the good news is we found it. Last week, we found it. We found the kingdom. The gospel we determined, which is incredibly important, is not actually found on the Romans' road. It's found planted firmly in the kingdom of God. Now, that's the gospel of John. It's the gospel of Yeshua. It is the gospel. It is the good news. And before we can really... This, is, this has developed into something different, as most series that I plan usually do. We were supposed to hit six elementary principles and be done and move on to something else. It's not that elementary, dear Watson. Because here's the thing. If, if, if so much of the teaching... If, these, if the elementary principles of Messiah are what we are studying, those six things, but we don't even understand, and I'm not saying you, but in general, the repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If we, it doesn't get more elementary than that. That's where the whole thing starts. So it's important that we need to understand what Yeshua was really saying. Much of His teaching, His message, and really the Gospel is focused on malchut, Say it with me. Malchut. Now you to it. Malchut. Good. Malchut. Melech. What's Melech? King. All from the same root. Malchut. Kingdom. Melech HaMashiach. King Messiah. Who will need... What does a king need? A kingdom. He needs a kingdom to do what in? He will reign there. Also a translation of Malchut. So he will reign over Malchut HaShemayim, the kingdom of heaven. That is mucho Malchut, right? I mean, there's a lot of mucho, I mean, a lot of Malchut going on here. So throughout the Gospels and the writings of the apostles, kingdom, 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 Malchut. And their big question in Acts 1.6, do you remember what their question was? Yeshua is there, he's resurrected. What's their number one question? What do they want to know most? Dude, is this it? We've been waiting. You've done some incredible, awesome things like raise, rising from the dead. Is now the time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Because Yeshua had taught them prepared them for it. They were expecting it. He told them to pray for it. They want the kingdom. And what happened? What, what happened to the centrality of the kingdom? Shouldn't, if they wanted it, if that was the number one question of the risen Messiah, shouldn't we also want it? Shouldn't we understand what it is? Shouldn't the praises and prayers for the kingdom be on our lips and in our thoughts? Where did it go? I'm glad you asked. Because, you know, here's the challenge. And these are some generalizations. And I try to avoid overgeneralizations. But I think if you, if, you would, if you would humor me just a bit, you'll find that these generalizations are actually accurate. It turns out that most followers of Yeshua today, 
Couldn't tell you what or where the kingdom is. Honestly. Honestly. Why? But, 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 it's not really their fault, as we'll see. It's not really their fault that it has not transferred down, that the kingdom has gotten lost despite the prevalence of the kingdom in the mouth of Yeshua. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let your kingdom come. The kingdom can be compared to all the different things that he says. Do you know what the problem with those things is for modern day theology? It's too Jewish. It turns out that that is just too doggone Jewish for the new church that formed out of the first century set of disciples and apostles of Yeshua. What is the kingdom of heaven? I've told you over and over and again about its centrality now. What is it? Let's start with what it's not. It is not heaven. It is not heaven. It is not fat-winged babies floating on clouds with little violins and arrows. It is not Peter standing at the gate telling you whether or not you can come in to the kingdom of heaven. Like all these jokes start. So I went to the pearly gates and Peter was there and the, the priest and the rabbi, you know, it's not that. That is, the kingdom of heaven is Jewish speak for the kingdom of God. It is, and this is point number one and very important, when you hear the kingdom of heaven, it is not a place. It is a fancy word, circumlocution. What's a circumlocution? It's... (laughs) It is not a place. What is a circumlocution, Roger? A place. No. A circumlocution is another way of saying something. So, out of the mouth of Yeshua, you hear kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Why does Mark translate it differently, kingdom of God? Because Yeshua respects and honors the name of His Father. So even that is His circumlocution, the kingdom of heaven, which equals the kingdom of God. Perfect. We got that. It's not that difficult, right? Remember, recall the prayer that Yeshua taught us to say. The only prayer recorded that he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. It is not a place we go in heaven. The kingdom is coming here, and you only need to look at the words of the Master to realize that. Okay? We could say then that this kingdom of God is is also synonymous. Now we moved on from what it's not to what it is. It is synonymous in the mouth of Yeshua with the term messianic era. Okay? Messianic era. The kingdom of God, the messianic era. Now, honest honest confession here. As you read through the rabbinic sources and Judaism's expression of this kingdom, sometimes there is a little bit of conflating that goes on between the thousand-year kingdom and the the world to come, which is called the Olam Haba. But we're going to focus right now on the majority opinion that the kingdom of heaven can be synonymous with the messianic age. Now, 
the Messianic age. If it's called the Messianic age, who's in charge of it? Trick question. God, but Messiah is ruling it. Okay? Hashem is always in control of everything, and I'll show you that in a second in sort of a mind-bending Scripture that you may never have paid attention to. Here are some highlights of the Messianic age. Universal peace, prophesied. Messiah defeats the enemies of Israel, prophesied. He sits on David's throne, prophesied. The exiles of Israel will be gathered, prophesied. Israel will rise to the prophesied place of world prominence, the first among the nations. Now that, you know, will be a miraculous sign that the kingdom has arrived. Little itty bitty bitty tiny Israel, first among the nations. There's more. This is what's happening in the Messianic age. Jerusalem will shine forth the light of revelation. Out of Jerusalem shall go, out of Zion shall go forth the word, word, and out of Jerusalem shall go forth the Torah, right? I'm sorry, it's the other way around, but you get the point. The nations will come up to Jerusalem. Get this. The nations will come up to Jerusalem. What will they do there? They will honor what you're here honoring today, the seventh-day Shabbat. They will honor the festivals. They will honor the king. And here's the biggie. The temple will be rebuilt. The temple will be restored as Carol said, and I'm, I talk about this in a, the next portion connections because it's a really important thing that Yeshua is very, very close to, the temple, and it will be restored in the age in which he is ruling and reigning on earth. Read Ezekiel, get thoroughly confused, pull out a lot of commentaries, and one day we're going to have David teach a subset class on Ezekiel, the Messiah, the King, the Prince, and make it all make sense. Yes? Perfect. Okay, good. So that's a promise. He's obligated. The temple, the temple, it will be a house of prayer for who? Yes, yes, all nations are coming to the temple. When? In the Messianic age. Where? In Jerusalem. And who's there? The Messiah. Get it? Messiah, Messianic age. Satan will be bound. That's going to be good. Satan will be bound. Man's desire to sin, what we battle with every single day of our lives, will be subdued. Can you imagine how good life will be? Just just let that sink in. When I say that and I see your response, I can feel the expectation of that. Because sin is painful, and there's none of that for us. We are going there. There is all kinds of new covenant stuff that's going down here. 
real new covenant stuff, not, not any kind of weird modern-day theology you've heard about this new covenant and the New Testament being the new covenant or Hebrews' misunderstandings of the new covenant. I'm talking about the real stuff. You get a new heart, no more cold, stony heart. Now you get a new and clean, purified, circumcised heart a new spirit is placed within us and the spirit of the Lord is poured out on all flesh, prophesied. And we're going to eat and we are going to party. And that's also something I like. Especially with the sinful desire subdued, you can eat and party and not have any problems. But what does that mean? The resurrected righteous will walk among the living, song and dance in the streets, will dine with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Yeshua, and Yeshua will drink wine again. And why wouldn't he? The sages of Israel say that there will be, and the prophets, forget the sages for just a minute, the prophets, Isaiah, predict new wine and grain and oil will abound. The hills will drip with sweet wine. And the sages do embellish that with these prophecies about giant grapes and the abundance of wine in the Messianic era. And Yeshua said, I won't drink it again until... This is the kingdom of heaven. Does that sound exciting to you? This is what we're waiting for. This is what we're supposed to be looking for, asking, seeking, and knocking to find and enter. And I'm up for it, aren't you? It sounds fun. Let's go there. It's a lot more fun than like floating on a cloud and listening to hymns all day. No offense to Charles Wesley, who wrote the words for Arise, My Soul, Arise. Quite Quite a hemster which is not a hamster or a herster. It's a hamster. And it's important to note, here's point two, very important. I made some other points than just two, but this is, it's, it's not a place, the kingdom of heaven, but yet it's going to be here. Here, it's happening. All of these ideas, all of these prophecies, all these things, it's happening in this world. But, but here's the sort of confusing part. It's not really this world because it's a better world. But it's not the world to come, right? It's not paradise. It's not the new Jerusalem. It's not that. It's in between. Now, the writers of Hebrew... The writer of Hebrews does a really cool thing. You know that he spends all this time developing the temple, and we spent a lot of weeks talking about this, how the temple is symbolic of this world and the next. The sanctuary, the holy, is separated from the holy of holies in the temple, right? And we read and studied and learned that the author says that the sanctuary is this world, the holy of holies is the next world, the world to come, paradise. But what's in between? What's in between in the temple, the holy place and the holy of holies? Anyone know? A curtain, right? How many curtains? Two curtains. Now listen to this. And I'll make this relevant, I promise you. So as the high priest enters into the temple, this is, let's imagine this is our 
our curtain, okay? We've got the menorah. We've got the table of showbread. We've got the incense altar. We're in the sanctuary. It's Yom Kippur. The high priest enters into the temple, right? This curtain, there are two curtains, and in between the curtains is a, bri- a, a width of a cubit, right, David? A cubit space. Most people don't realize this, that there are two, temp- two curtains that separate. So on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest enters into the temple, he walks to the north side, and there's a little gap between the curtain and the wall. Huh? South side, sorry, south side. Walks to the south side, and he walks in and through. And so now where is he? He is between two worlds, as the author of Hebrews might have us understand. He walks all the way down and comes out on the north side, and here's the second curtain, right? And there's a little gap on the north side, and he walks in, and now he's in the Holy of Holies. Did that make any sense to you guys? Do you understand? What in the world relevance does that have? There is a space. This curtain is in this world, but not really. This curtain is in the next world. But when you're in between them, not really. And what is that? That's the messianic age. And who's in it? The high priest. How do you get from one to the other? You have to follow the high priest through the gap. And what is the gap? It is the messianic age. Does that make sense? Now listen in Hebrews where he says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way in which he inaugurated for us through the veil. Okay? Now listen, Christian understanding so often, Messianic Jewish understanding, wrong understanding, says that when Yeshua died, the holy of holies curtain was split open and everybody's running into the holy of holies. No, they're not. Yeshua stands at the right hand of the Father interceding for His followers on earth. But there will come a day because He has made the way into the Holy of Holies. How do you get there? You don't just trot through the curtain on Yom Kippur. You follow Messiah Yeshua. And how is He going? through the south side, through the space, out the north, and into the world to come. This is what Hebrews is talking about. Now that's a very, that's an aside, but it's a very cool aside, isn't it? To imagine, so there's that thousand years between this world and the next. But what about us? Because isn't that really all that really matters? Enough about you. Let's talk about me. What do you think about me? That's the, uh, that's the social media generation mantra. What's happening with us? Us. Followers of, of Yeshua. The Messiah comes and begins the Messianic era with the resurrection of the righteous. It is not the resurrection of everyone. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. But only the resurrection of the right, right, righteous in conjunction with the ingathering of the exiles of Israel. We're still talking about what's happening in the Messianic age. Now we're talking about us. Who's righteous? Well, we can certainly say that Yeshua is righteous, and because of that, we are included in the resurrection of the righteous when he returns. 
The book of Revelation says they came to life, they reigned with Messiah for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Are you with me? That's an important point. Okay? So we're going into the thousand years. We're entering the curtain at that point. We're not in paradise. We're entering the space between the worlds, the Messianic age. And when the thousand years are ended, Revelation says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is the general resurrection. Are you with me? Everybody. Everybody. Final judgment. Finding our names written either in the book of life, God willing, or the book of death. Having the verdict pronounced, the old new song, this, song, this one's with me. That's the time when Yeshua says, Father, oh Father, this one's with me. And we're walking in. To Olam Haba, to the world to come. Now we enter in. And then the world has passed away. That's what the Bible says. And what we see then, who can tell me what we'll see then? Who can describe it for me? Who can tell me what I, can, what, I'm, what I should be looking for in the world to come? Don't even answer it. It's a trick question. No one can. It's written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I believe that's talking about what's coming. That's not just general life. That's the promises of the world to come. It is beyond imagination. And I want to point this out to you. I don't know how many people really pay attention to this. 1 Corinthians 15 is a chapter about the resurrection primarily. It's Paul speaking. And he says this, and let me just read it for a bit. Because, you know, we did a long series on the Messiah as well. Messiah before the foundations. We talked about Messiah. We talked about sort of the the. The, the church's development of Messiah and who he was and how he became God. And just, we talked about all of that stuff, right? And, and, and it's, it's, it's controversial in, in church theology, the things that we say there. But they make sense, and I believe them. And here's something really, really, really profound and important. 1520, the fact is Messiah has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who were asleep. For since by a man death came, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Messiah all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Messiah the first fruits, after that those who are Messiahs at his coming. Listen to this, verse 24. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. He, this is Messiah. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is clear that this excludes the Father who put all things in subjection to him. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? I'm talking about the thing I said before, which I already forgot that I said I'd come back to, about understanding Yeshua's submission to the Father. 
What he does at the end of this time is to say, Father, I have done all you asked. Here is the kingdom. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Man, that messes up a lot of like weird theology. It begins to step into some Trinitarian questions and begins to really ask us, wow, this is a, this is a God-ordained way, an authority structure where Messiah is going to do all these things and then he is going to give it to God. Now we know that they're going to be, and we can talk about Revelation another time, but there's no temple in, in the New Jerusalem because Messiah and God but we miss something really incredible about Yeshua when we conflate the whole God, Messiah, Jesus, when we don't recognize all that. This is kingdom stuff. Yeshua does the kingdom. The messianic age ends. The millennial reign ends. Yeshua hands it over to the Father. And then the gospel teachings... Everything you read in the New Testament testifies to these realities that I'm telling you about. And the Old Testament, to use some bad language. The prophets and the eternal life with God that follows. That is the kingdom. Great, Rabbi. Thank you for the recap. We know all that. Do you know all that? Because it's kind of important that you do. And you would be very, very surprised that when most people, when they think of being with Jesus, they do not envision a time like what I just described to you. Most people, and maybe some of you, Envision a place that is very different than that. And most people are so incredibly consumed with where I'll be when I die that they're not even really thinking about, whoa, there's an eternity of awesomeness that I'm going to participate in. I think it is valuable somewhere down the road in this series to have yet another huge uh, offshoot And talk a little bit about those types of questions as well. Gehenna, hell, Sheol, where do I go when I die? What's happening? These are some of the most profound questions that everybody has. Probably we'll talk about that in the eternal judgment section of elementary principles if we ever get to the six elementary principles that we're going to talk about. But friends, everything I just shared, these these, these unfolding events, this is what Israel was expecting to happen when the Messiah came. It did not happen. That's good for a lot of people, actually. Yeshua came preaching this imminent message, repent for the kingdom has drawn near. And Israel, the Torah, the temple, the festivals, the prayers, the king, the kingdom, the ingathering, there is no gospel without those things that make the kingdom the kingdom. But again, back to our question. What happened to all of that? 
Why, if I asked members of any number of diverse denominations, particularly of you know, Protestant, charismatic denominations, why wouldn't I hear those things? Why wouldn't I hear this authentic, biblical, Yeshua-taught Jewish kingdom that is drawing near? Why wouldn't I hear about Israel and Sabbath and festivals and Torah and circumcised hearts and really knowing what that means? Why wouldn't I hear those things? Well, what I'm telling you today is sort of a radical message that runs very contrary to the majority of traditional church theology on this subject. For the most, the majority of church history, the teaching about a literal kingdom era on earth has been considered heretical. Now, I just sold you real hard on the kingdom on earth. I think I, I, if I was a real estate agent, I think I could sell you property at the end of this message. I'm kidding. But that whole idea is not really accepted in large swaths of church. There are more than one billion Christians in the world, and most of them have not ever even heard of the kingdom in this sense. Instead, when they hear about the kingdom of heaven, they assume that you mean the world of souls, the afterlife, heaven, where we go when we die in the sky. Or they might, and this is probably even more prevalent, assume that when you talk about the kingdom of heaven, you're talking about the church that exists on earth. That that whole Jewish prophetic Israel thing, God nixed it and said, that doesn't work anymore. We got a new thing in Jesus. The church is now the kingdom of heaven. And that's called replacement theology, and we will talk just a moment about it next week. But this concept of a messianic era, a thousand-year era that begins with the second coming of Messiah with all these things that I mentioned to you, no, that's not, that's not real well known. Now stop and think about the irony of that. Stop and think about that for a moment. Yeshua came with one central message. What was it? You can say it. You know it. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is here. Seek to first enter the kingdom. Make it your top priority. Repent to enter. When you pray, ask God to send it. That's his main message. And today, so many of his followers have no idea what the kingdom even is or that he taught about it, that it was a priority or maybe they do, but the kingdom is, as I said, something entirely different than what the Bible says. Now, as I said at the beginning, you want to talk about elementary principles. This is about as elementary as it gets, understanding this. Somehow the church lost the kingdom, lost, lost the whole idea, and that is sort of a big thing to lose. It's not a car key. It's the vehicle, though. But as I said to start, it's really not all their fault. It's not their fault at all. 
because it goes way, 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 way back. And next week, we will look. Well, if you like history, you'll like next week because we'll look back. If you don't like history, I bet you can still learn something valuable. We're going to continue this discussion as we study some early church history and help you understand where and why the kingdom got lost. Because here's the important thing I want to remind you. Matthew 13 in one of Yeshua's many, 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 many kingdom parables, he tells us this one. It's a famous, it's one you know, the pearl of great price. What is the pearl of great price? For, for many, 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 many people, the pearl of great price is personal salvation. I've found in Jesus personal salvation. And upon, again, here it is, verse 45, chapter 13, Matthew. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. What was the introduction to the pearl of great price right there? What is the What is the thing that takes us into the parable? And the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. God's kingdom and your ability to participate is priceless. Entering that kingdom is worth everything you have. It's the goal of the gospel. Repent and you can enter it. How tragic that most people don't have this deep yearning expectation to enter the kingdom and to understand if you do and if you do know it, what you found is a pearl of great price, something that's to bring you hope and expectation to live in this life with goodness and with Torah and with kindness. If you found it, it is incumbent upon you to help others find it. And how? How do you do that? Yeshua told you in Luke 9.60 how you help others find the kingdom. Go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Next week, we'll see where it got lost and put it back in its place. Shabbat Shalom. We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.